Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to do your work as co-laborers with you. Please, Lord, now in this time, help us to understand the structure of the body of Christ, the church. Help us to understand our part in it. Help us to understand how it should run most efficiently and effectively and how we can be part of making that happen. So bless our time together. Bless all that we study and bless everyone here in the churches we represent. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our presentation today, here we have a couple of volunteers, thank you, is The Church Board. And cleverly in the title, we struck through B-O-R-E-D and want to emphasize B-O-R-A-D, right? It is so clever. It is so clever. Now, but the title, if we're just left at the church board, it does sound boring. I mean, I don't know how many of you have fond memories of good board meetings, but it seems laughable, right? Nobody sits back and says, remember the time we were all together at the board? That was fantastic. It was great. It was, you just reminisce about the old time. No, right? And, and uh, I mean, board meetings for a lot of people feel like this necessary evil. It feels like, you know, uh, like a, an emergency dental thing. You have to do it, but you know it's going to hurt or something like that. And it doesn't need to be that way. So what should the church board look like? How should it function? And how can we make it better is the purpose of what we're doing today. Again, there's a handout called the church board that everyone should get if you're coming in here. Let's start with a little bit of a wide angle lens and then focus it down in. First of all, the church is the body of Christ. Um, I think we mentioned this in another one the other day, but in Acts chapter 2, when those 3,000 souls were baptized, the Bible makes it clear they were not baptized merely into Jesus. It says, and that day 3,000 souls were added to whom? To them, to the church, right? And the Bible uses this analogy over and over, that the church is the body of Christ. Right? And we sometimes want to separate the head, which is Christ, the head of the church, which is Christ, from the body here on the earth and just have just a connection with the head and that's it. But Christ never ever in the Bible separates our religious life into there's your spiritual life with him and then there's this optional other thing that you're connected with the church. It all goes together as one body does. Uh, for instance, for as the body, it says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So you have a single body made up of many members. And already, by just using the analogy or the metaphor of the body, it implies organization and order. Right? Like, you are not just a collection of parts. They have to be working together. Like, you can have great eyesight, but if you don't have a liver, <laughs> those eyes aren't going to do you any good, right? They have to be working together in a harmonious, orderly fashion for the body to do its work effectively. So it's not even a random assemblages of parts, loosely so It has to be woven together in organization. Thus, I love the, the analogy of the body because it automatically moves us towards a picture of how the church is supposed to work. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, two chapters later, speaking of this, the Apostle Paul says, let all things to be done how? Decently and in order. Order, structure, organization is not the enemy of spirituality. 
It is not unspiritual to be organized. In fact, I would go the other way with it. Now, I, I'll tell you, I had an encounter uh, with an associate of mine one time. We were working together at the same church. And I, for one, like a sermonic calendar. I like to lay out, as, as best I can, a full year of what I'm going to be preaching about. I like to have a quarterly theme. I like to have series. I like, I like, like, A leads to B, therefore C. I think people think that way. Even the phrase, like, I say, I hear people, I catch myself say it, let's think logically. <laughs> How else can you think, right? Thinking is, by definition, logical. We're built to want to see A lead to B, therefore C. That's how we're wired, right? So putting together sermons, if we're leading people to the truth, look at our evangelistic campaigns. The reason we don't preach Mark of the Beast on night one, but you open with this, which leads to this. That way, when you get to that, people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I am convinced that it's true. We want to convince people in the mind. So I like to lay out a sermon on a calendar. And the associate of mine was very stressed about that. He did not like that because he said, you're not leaving any room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. The implication, and I said, well, what do you do for you? He said, I just wait till the week when I'm preaching and I just pray and I just wait for the Holy Spirit to lead me to something. And that sounds really, really good. It sounds pious. It sounds, and it probably was sincere. I'm not doubting his motive. But my counterthought to that is, because it makes me seem like, oh, you're just relying on human mechanisms instead of the Holy Spirit. Man, I am the unspiritual one in the room. Makes you feel like that, right? Until I was like, wait a minute, let me think about that. If the Holy Spirit's going to lead you that week before the sermon, couldn't he lead you two weeks before the sermon, three weeks, maybe six months? Isn't the same Holy Spirit who can show up and call an audible at the line on Sabbath morning, the same one that could lead me in December to know what I'm going to be preaching in March? And I like that order. I like the fact that another pastor I worked with preached over a year from the Gospel of John. Every single sermon. Now, I love the good stuff, but there's 65 other books. Right? And so it helps you. So I'm not really talking about sermonic calendar. I'm giving an illustration of order. It helps keep me off of hobby horses and just prone to the same things I like. You know, i got to go through steps of Christ. i got to go through the life of Christ. But you also got to get prophecy in there. We need some Old Testament history and some Adventist church. You gotta, and if you don't write it down, you're like, man, we went three years. We never talked about the life of Christ. We're always doing this stuff. So it helps, right? And plus, if you do order and structure, and then the Holy Spirit or some circumstance says, you know, we need to talk about this, you can put your plan to the side and say, all right, Lord, I'll follow your leading. But I'd much rather have a plan prepared that he can override than to be unprepared and just presume that he's going to lead. I believe that's the distinction between faith and presumption. Right? Faith works. Presumption is not what the Bible calls for. Okay. Anyway, so the same thing is true in the order and organization of the church body, that it takes intentionality. It takes setting an agenda, having a structure and plan, but that is not evidence of a lack of spirituality. It actually is working according to the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy Council. So listen to this statement here. Ellen White, writing uh, in early writings, page 97, this is when the church organization was starting in the Seventh Adventist Church, and there was a great debate. I mean, there are even people saying, the minute you take a name at all, you become Babylon. But then you'd have all these self-sent ministers preaching different things. Money was going to different places. People were overfunded, underfunded. Churches were being bought by people who were converted, but not given to the church body. And when they fell into apostasy, they'd take the church and turn it into a bar. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. 
This isn't the seal of God on this order. She wrote, formality should be shunned, right? Just doing things out of rote, cold ceremony. That's not what we want. Formality should be shunned. But in so doing, order should not be neglected. There is order in heaven. There was order in the church when Christ was upon the earth, and after his departure, order was strictly observed among his apostles. And now, in these last days, while God is bringing his children into the unity of the faith, there is more real need of order than ever before. For as God unites his children, Satan and his evil angels are very busy to prevent this unity and to destroy it. Satan does not like a unified body of Christ all working together. And he's done a marvelous job of thinking that fracture and independent spirit is actually spiritually led. Well, I do believe that it is led by a spirit. I'm just not sure it's led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings people into unity, to harmony, one body with many members. Okay, with that in mind, though only some in the church hold leadership positions, every member is called to serve. Uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you may have heard my presentation on this before, but if so, uh, you get the blessing of hearing it twice. Where the Apostle Paul, talking about this order in the church and responsibilities of church leaders specifically, writes, and he himself, notice that both H's there are capitalized. This is talking about Jesus Christ he's referring to. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now just pause right there. That adjective, some, indicates that in the body of Christ are all people called to be pastors and leaders and evangelists and administrators, that kind of thing. No. But are some called? Yes. Though there is a place for it, but is it most? No. Most aren't, but some are. Okay? So already, though we're all part of the body, there are some that have specific responsibilities that others are not weighted with. Okay, some. Now, what are these for? Now, does anyone have a King James Bible with them? All right, could you look up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12? What is the purpose of these some people in spiritual responsibilities of apostle and uh, uh, evangelist? What was the list? Pastors and teachers, all these spiritual responsibilities. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, from the King James Version, and while he's looking that up, please know this will not devolve into a debate on Bible translations. I will not allow it. <laughs> All right, having said that, does someone have it? Oh, I think I saw you first. Why don't you, can you read with a preaching voice? All right, please. And now I want you to read it as the punctuation demands. Okay, go ahead. For the perfecting of the saints. Comma. Right? Okay, I'm just making sure everybody knows. Of the ministry. Comma. For the edifying of the body of Christ. All right. How many jobs, how many responsibilities do these some have according to this passage? Three. What was the first one? Perfecting the saints. All right. Now, what's their next responsibility? Do the work of the ministry. And the third responsibility? Edify the body of Christ. So, help make all the saints better. Nurture. Build them up. And then, they also need to do the work of ministry. And finally, to edify, that is enlarge, grow, build up the church body itself. Grow the church. So perfect the people, do the work of ministry, grow the church. That's what pastors do. And everybody's like, amen, that's a good pastor. If we had a pastor come here, 
would help make me better, would do all the work of ministry, and as a result, he would grow the church. Amen. Now, the difficulty with that is, look at the New King James Version. That's the one that's written here. And you might have it in your Bible as well, but it says, um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, how many jobs are there? Two. For the edifying of the, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Why are you working with the saints? To get them to do the work of ministry. The best rendering of this one particular verse in all the Bible is actually from the New International Version. I know it hurts. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. One job. To invest in the people so that we're all doing the work of ministry and as a result, the church body grows. Now, you can go back and study Ephesians chapter 4. The way you, you don't just pick a translation based on the one that suits my personal tastes. You don't do that. But you've got three different options here. What you do is look at what was the context. You read the whole thing, and he was talking about it. If you look down in verse 16, he talks about how every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Clearly, his goal is to get this idea that the purpose of church leadership is to get everyone involved so you can have total member involvement, and as a result, the church will grow. That's the reason we have church leadership. That's the reason we have structure in some positions of responsibility isn't to do the work and take over the work and be a secret society that does it behind the scenes. Their purpose is to plan the work and to engage every member in total member involvement, the result being a growing church. So when we look at the church structure and the board and the business meeting and the nominating committee, all the different structures there, we have to keep in mind that the ultimate objective is training and equipping every member and deploying them in service so the church will grow. That's the objective from the Bible, okay? I like how Paul puts it here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again, going back to the body analogy. He writes, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are, what's the word? Necessary. Now, he always goes by the, the head, the eye, the hand, the foot, you know. Those are like the big ticket, get a lot of ink in the press kind of parts of the body. But again, we still need livers and we still need internal organs and, and capillaries and, and synapses. We know those little, all of it working together is not just optional, it's not just encouraged, it's necessary for the body to function right. So Paul clearly saw that there were priority things like the head, which is Christ, and the eyes and the hands. But you need everyone, even the weaker ones, are necessary in order for the church to grow. Now, let's talk local church organization 101. Uh, I wish I hadn't handed this out because it had been a fun discussion, but you already looked ahead and cheated. The highest authority in the local church is... All right, let's do it the other way. The highest authority in the church is not the pastor, the head elder... Or even the church board. The highest authority in the local church is the church in business session. Which is every member is a voting delegate making the biggest decisions. There are things in the local church that the pastor and the elder and the church board cannot do according to our church manual, our agreed upon constitution bylaws. 
Can you name some of those, please? Okay, approve the whole budget. So they have to have a big picture view of the finances. Also, I would say that big expenditures need to go to the church business session. Like, for instance, it's a good way to, because you have business session, then you have board, then you have individual ministries and that kind of thing. So one good way to look at those levels of authority is through the lens of money. So, for instance, if you were going to have a $300,000 expenditure, can a department say, hey, the women's ministry wants to spend $300,000? <laughs> they can say that all they want, you know, but that's not getting off the ground, right? I would even challenge the church board, can't go spend $300,000. I don't know how big your money pot is, but I'm guessing that in any local church, that's going to be a big capital campaign, right? We're talking new roof and parking lot kind of level kind of thing, you know? That needs to go to the whole church and business session. But what if you want to spend $3,000? Do you need to get the whole business session together to decide that? No, you have the board. Well, again, it depends on the size of your church, right? How about $300? What if you called a business meeting every time you wanted to spend $300? Oh my goodness, you know, every third Tuesday is going to be another business meeting. You can't do that, right? So a good way to look at this, so what you should have are spending limits. Say, okay, each department can spend up to this without even having to call a board meeting. And a board meeting can spend this much without having to call a business meeting, right? And there should be, a, there should be an understanding of different levels of responsibility. And finances are a good way to look at that, okay? Now, um, all, all the way, by the way, I've got a list of your major issues, accepting or disciplining church members. All church membership issues go to the whole family. Have you noticed whenever you have a baptism? Yes, they do. I know, but it didn't happen. Oh, well, you've got a naughty, naughty church leader. I don't know what's going on there, but something, something was off, but that didn't happen. But whenever you have a baptism, the pastor will almost jokingly say, now we, now we need to do a little bit of church business here this morning. Is there something... But he's serious that there are two times the church meets in business session. One is for a specially called business meeting outside of the church hours, right? Usually on a Sunday or something like that or Saturday night because you don't want to like talk about big contractual agreements financially and, you know, on the Sabbath hours. It makes sense. You do it on another time. But the other time is when? The worship service. Every Sabbath morning when the church is assembled, it is an essential church business session. That's why you'll have certain things like baptisms and the acceptance of members. Into Now, usually the removal of members isn't done on a Sabbath morning unless your church is really, really doing something. I mean, you technically could, but man, that would be an awkward Sabbath service. Because you, you want to do that tactfully and in a small, not with visitors. You know, there's a time and place to do it, right? But accepting people in membership, praise the Lord, Sabbath morning, come on in. Also, can you think of anything else that happens? Sabbath morning, you have membership transfers, right? First and second reading, you can vote. That's a business session. What else? Thank you, nominated committee report. You have a first and second reading for that, right? And that, the reason you're doing that, you could do it at a specially called business meeting, but most churches just do it in the regular worship service. You pass out the report, read through it for your week. If you have any questions, concerns, call the nominated committee and address it. But by the next Sabbath, we should be ready to move on this, right? Did you have a comment or question real quick? Uh, baby dedications. Baby dedications are not an official action. So you can do that, you could do it on a Tuesday if you wanted to, but you want people there, so it's nice to do it at church. But baby dedications are not, um, we're not a Catholic church, so that's not a membership issue. When a baby, we're just having a special time of prayer and dedicating them, and especially their family, to the Lord, because the baby doesn't know what's going on. Um, unless they're older, and then that's awkward to get your teenage son up there, like, Mom, we could have done this 15 years ago. But, um, anyway, um, 
But major issues, again, accepting or disciplining church members, opening or closing a church school, significant financial commitments, those kind of things are for the church and business session. The church manual recommends you have how many church business sessions every year? The answer is at least one. Most churches will have one or two. But having three or four, you know, you don't have a quarterly. I mean, you might do that. I mean, it's getting pretty rare. But usually one or two a year for church business session. You just lay out the big picture items for the year. Or if you need a specially called one for a special project or some special disciplinary reason, you call one. But you have at least one a year, maybe two. And that's usually what most churches do. So how does the church operate if you're not every decision is being made by the whole church and business session? How do you operate your church? Will you have, drum roll please, the church board, right? The church board is, in essence, essentially a subcommittee of the church in business session with limited delegated authority. Does that, was that whole sentence clear? Right? It's a subcommittee. It acts on the behalf of it. You can think of it as the executive committee of the church. That means that the church gets together and says, we don't want to decide every nickel and dime issue, every structural, every calendar item, every, every time you need to make a decision. Don't call us together. We trust you to represent us to make those decisions to a limited degree. We're not saying you can do anything you want with a church school and you can't spend all of our money. You can't remove members. You can't do all that kind of stuff, right? That still has to come to us. Big ticket items are still us. But the daily stuff. The ongoing care, maintenance, and growth issues of the church, scheduling, logistics, that kind of thing. That's what the board exists to do. It acts as an extension of the church and business session. So, with that in mind, please turn to the next page. With the exception of conference-employed pastors, because, of course, your pastor isn't elected by the local church, and we should pause right here. Somebody already mentioned it, but how does one decide who's on the church board? Nominating committee. How does one choose who's on the nominating committee? The church and <laughs> business sets. There's a reason we do this, because they are impaneled to act on the church's behalf. So you have to have the church authorizing them to do those things in their stead. So you have to have the consent of the governed. You know what I'm saying? It's a very republic mindset, right? That you have elected representatives who deliberate and decide for you. And that means there's a process, it needs to be a transparent, full process to trust those elected individuals, right? So you have, usually it's the selection committee, you know, who you, I know it's, we laugh about this so much, the, nominate, the committee to nominate the nominating committee. But what you do is at a church session, you can do it right there in the, in the church, uh, um, on church morning on Sabbath day, right? Please turn in, you know, say maybe five names that you would trust to help choose the nominating committee. And the top five names there will go and select the nominating committee. And then you'll bring back and say, this is the, these are the representatives you have nominated to do your nominating. Do you give your consent to let them go do their work? And everyone's like, yeah. Okay, and then they'll come back. And so that's how the process starts. The whole nominating committee process starts from pooling the whole church family, and you go to the nominating committee, and then they have the difficult task of going through all the positions in the church, all the different departments, all the different ministries and activities, 
and saying, based on previous history and current circumstance, looking forward, who for the next one or two years would do well in this position? That's their whole job. Okay? And you know that. And of course, nominating committee meetings are supposed to be confidential. And if you violate that confidence, you're off the nominating committee immediately. Because you talk about things. You talk about people. There's a reason that's a closed-door meeting. Because you have to talk about real things. Whether that rumor is true, whatever it is. Whether the tithe is really coming. You don't want elders who don't return tithe, that kind of thing. you know? you got to do that. By the way, this also ties nicely into my little issue about pruning your church. Because every time you go to the nominating committee, you have your church membership list that might be 300 people long. But then you say, like, all right, who's the real people we can actually choose from? Because you know all 300 of those, you have to take off a certain two-thirds of that aren't even, right? In the nominating committee, you learn who's really part of the church, right? And from that drastically reduced list, you start saying, okay, here's the people we have. Here's the positions we need to fill. And the temptation is to say, all right, we've got X many positions and X many people. Let's start just drawing lines and filling in, right? I would plead with you, don't do that. Prayerfully, carefully, deliberately, look at those needs of the church and say, like, who is either currently doing this well or who could do this or who could move into this position? What would be a good team to work this with, right? And another thing you can do, it's not always popular, but if there's, say, a committee that hasn't met in the last two years, why would you put people on that committee? Just don't have it. Choose the things you're supposed to do and do them well. Put the people there to do that and then move on, right? And then you can bring it back to the church. And before those new officers can go into action, they have to come back to the whole, to the whole church family to be reviewed and approved, right? So notice the whole nominating committee process started from the whole family. They delegated people to do the choosing. And then they said, all right, now bring us a report and we'll either prove or we'll send it back for further work. Okay? And that's what happens. We had an interesting scenario where they had, uh, uh, in the Kalamazoo Church when I was at a couple, few years ago, we brought forth our nominating committee report and someone objected. Right there in the middle of the, I object. I was like, well, this is a fun Robert's Rules moment. Here we go. <laughs> this will be neat. So what we did is right there, well, not right in front of the people, but behind the platform, we impaneled the nominating committee members. They happened to be there that day. It's like, could we all meet in the back real quick? Let's hear the brother's concern. And in the meantime, Sister So-and-So, could you lead us in a few songs? So they did a couple of, an impromptu song service for just a minute. And came back and said, and he said, look, I have an issue with, and his concern was about the structure of, I think, the Pathfinder thing with leadership or whatever. And he, okay. And the nominating committee listened. Oh, we, we hear what you're saying. Thank you for that. Then after he left... He said he had some valid points, but we still think our original is what we're going to go with. We're going to stick with the report we submitted. So they came back out and said, we've heard the concern, and we submit to you still the original report. Okay. We took a vote. Passed unanimously. It was great. Um, but that's how it's supposed to work, is that the people choose their representatives and then trust those representatives with the work that they've been assigned. Okay. Oh, right here. Okay, now what you have a sample of here is a little thing I put together that I like a lot. 
because one of the things I've been frustrated with in the past is how nominating reports are given to the church family. And I know you're like, when are we getting to the church board? It's coming, all right? But the church board is a function of the nominee. I mean, the nominating committee impanels this church board to work. And understanding the structure helps you understand what the purpose of the board is, okay? Now, in many churches, especially in larger ones, you'll have a multiple-page report that's handed out, and it's just a black-and-white copy of a list of names and offices and whatnot. And you can say, all right, here's this one over here, and I look on page three, here's another office I have. So it's kind of a scattered thing. Or you have like all the elders in the block here, but then you have to ask now, is this one on the board? Is this a board position? And she always answer, is this a board position? Is this a board position? Why couldn't we have a, a simpler way to transmit or communicate this information? So yes, it has the office. It has the name of the officer, but also puts the structure in which that relates to the rest of the body in one document. Okay. So what we have here, now, it's obviously not printed this small. It's just for these notes. I would always put it sideways, landscape on the page. And uh, if you need a copy of the notes, I believe they're right up there on the front chair, right in front of Pastor Finley. So you, obviously it would be bigger font so everybody can read it, right? But that was the challenge. Like, can we create a document that has all of the officers, all the department leaders and whatnot, on one piece of paper, on one side, full color, and it shows the flow of how they relate to each other, then you can take it home and put it on your refrigerator. <laughs> or you can post it on a bulletin board and everybody can see how the system works. So in the green section up there at the top is the church business session where every church member is a voting delegate. Let me make a special appeal to you now at camp meeting. Go to your church business meetings. You have incredible, incredible responsibility and privilege in the church business meeting. Your voice carries, because I can tell you what, I'll give you an example of this. In, in one of the churches that pastored here in Michigan, when I came there, we called a business meeting and they had a quorum set of 40 people, which makes sense though, because if the church was basically, it was almost 400 members, so you say oh, roughly 10% of the people should make the decisions, okay, so we'll make the bar 40. Well, what happened was we had like 20 something there. So we failed to meet quorum, and we couldn't have a business meeting. And then at the meeting, they told us, you know, this is the fourth time this has happened in a row. I said, what? This is the fourth business meeting. They couldn't do any business because not enough people showed up. So what do we, and so we are, Johnny on the spot, another Robert's Rules. What do we do about this situation? Because <laughs> the irony is, you need a church business meeting to set the quorum for church business meetings. <laughs> so if you can't get enough, what do you do? Well, when's the next church business meeting where you know people are going to be? At the church service, right? But do you want to have that debate? It's like, good morning, friends. Not enough of you came. We need to lower the bar. <laughs> Happy Sabbath. You know, what do you do? So what we did is in the, on the day when the people didn't show up, I said, well, how many board members do we have here? Well, board members usually show up to business meetings. So I said, all right, we're impaneling. We're switching from business to board. So everyone else is dismissed. Or you can stick around and watch. This isn't a closed session, but we're going to do some work here. And we said, let's make, as the board, a recommending motion to the church family of lowering the quorum. But let's submit it to the church family the same way you would a nominating committee report. Let's do a first and second reading. So we don't have discussion on the floor. We'll just make it a note in the items of, in the announcements, you know. By the way, there's a recommendation, uh, a motion from the church board for your consideration, and just did it like a nominating. And if anybody has any questions, please see the pastor or the elders who made that decision. And anyway... By the second Sabbath, we lowered the quorum to 25 from 40. Then we called another business meeting. And praise the Lord, 26 people showed up. 
And we could have this newfangled thing called a budget. It was glorious. And we could start making decisions. But it, it speaks to the fact that out of a church, that church had 374 members. And you had 26 people show up to make all the decisions for everybody else. Your voice, your vote has incredible weight at the church business meeting. Please, please, please show up to it. Okay? That's what it's there for. Anyway, the green bar, church business session. The blue section there is the church board. That is those impaneled by the church business session to do the work of the church in between business meetings, right? By the way, the church is like a Russian doll. The Seventh Avenue Church is. If you understand how the local church works, then you know how the conference works. And that's how the union works, and that's how the general conference works. At their upcoming general conference session, they're going to have a nominating committee. And they're going to go back to the, and then they're going to bring a recommendation to the body. It's the same thing. It's just adding more zeros, right? It's just a bigger amount. But that's the same structure all the way up from top to bottom. It's fascinating. And the same thing, you know, we have a general conference session every how many years? Every five years. Does that mean that we only do church business on the general conference level every five years? No. There is an executive committee. They have annual council, which is a subgroup of that that meets and they make recommendations. But on big picture items like adjustments to the church manual, fundamental beliefs, those kind of things, they they can't do that. They have to recommend to the church and business session, which is the general conference session. This is how it works all the way up and down the line. So once you understand the local church structure, then you can say, like, I know why we have a nominating committee in our conference and we have a constituency session, because the constituency session of a conference is just the church business meeting of the local church. It's just a bigger version of it, right? Anyway, let's keep going. So the church board there, and at the time I was pastor, so I was the chair of that. I would still recommend that. I know that the uh, church manual allows for, and I know it seems uh, counterintuitive for me, of all people, who has preached the need for less pastor dependency, Right? But one of the roles that the pastor is supposed to function is as the leader and guiding voice of the local church. So I would urge a pastor, if you're in this room, not to abnegate your responsibility or your privilege of leading through the church board meeting, okay? Um, But you can have, you can delegate a proxy, you can have an elder to that on your behalf, but anyway. And then you say, all of the elders, notice, all of the elders are on the church board. All the elders are. That's the only department where everybody in the department is represented on the board. These are the ordained local leaders, essentially the local lay pastors who help guide the direction of the church. Then we also had our lay advisory representative, which is a conference representative, you know, for lay advisory. You had the church clerk needs to be there. Then you have the head deacon. Notice not all deacons, but the head deacon is there. But when we get to the head deacon, underneath them you have all the deacons and the men's ministry department which the head deacon is there at the board meeting to represent their interests. You know, when you have the United Nations assemble, they not only have the name of the person there, but the country they represent. I've literally thought about if we had a board meeting where you have the name of the person and say, no, 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 remember your deacon, (laughs) your deacon is your job is to represent the children's ministries, right? You're not just here just for random wisdom. We want you, especially as it relates to this department. Obviously, you can speak to all issues, but you should be thinking in mind, how is men's ministry going to be impacted by this decision? How is children's ministry? How's the community service center? Whatever your thing is. So you're bringing together not just individuals who just happen to be good leaders, but they're there because they represent departments of church work. Does that make sense? Okay. So that same thing with the head deaconess and underneath that you have all of the deaconesses and they're also the hospitality leader, the women's ministry leader, the social committee, the decorating, all those things 
And so that's their duties. That's their ministries. Then he goes on to Sabbath school, which, of course, underneath that has a subcommittee called a Sabbath school council. I would urge you to have a Sabbath school council where the Sabbath school superintendent is the chair. And then you have all your secretaries, your Sabbath school treasurers, uh, teachers, your, all the divisions are represented there. Then you have children's ministry and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, let me highlight personal ministries because, come on, we're from the Sabbath school and personal ministries department. We've got to highlight that. <laughs> personal ministries has its own committee, the personal ministries uh, council, which, according to the church manual, is supposed to meet how often? Once a month. And the pastor and the person ministries leaders are on that. It's a, basically a subcommittee of the board who, whose number one priority and objective is to recruit, to train, equip, and deploy all the members of the church in some form of service. So they should be meeting all the time. But it's astonishing to me how many churches don't have Sabbath school councils, don't have person ministries councils, they don't have an evangelistic planning committee. It's all just kind of done willy-nilly. It's kind of like Mark was talking about the other day when a church doesn't have a budget. Ever been to a church that doesn't have a budget? Yeah, a request for money comes in. They're like, I don't know, let's look and see if we have any in the bank. Just kind of, but there's no plan. You're not guiding it. You're not planning ahead. You're not structuring a thing. So you just kind of, as Mrs. White would say, you're just the sport of circumstances. You can toss to and fro with every wind of whatever. Right? We don't need that. You need a plan. And of course, you have a church school there at Kalamazoo, at the Kalamazoo Junior Academy. So you have the, the, the subcommittee of that, or in many cases, the church board. We had a church committee, uh, and the school board and the church uh, school committee. And you have the treasurer and the principal, all those people there. And on and on and on it goes around. So that the um, structure of the church hopefully is understood by the church. And everyone can see, oh, I'm part of the men's ministry, which is a, my board representative is our head deacon. and I need, So you can see where your, your part is in the church work. That's the goal there. Are there any questions about this particular document? We haven't gotten to the church board and we need to keep going with this, but yes, ma'am. I noticed that there's a communications person there. Yeah. Can each church like create a board position? Is that, is that yeah. kosher? Absolutely. If you look at the church manual, it lists recommended people on the board, and it's like it's literally 30 or so different people, but um, obviously it, it does have the qualifying statement in there. Each church board will be determined on your own circumstance, right? So I would imagine, but there's a, I wouldn't say, all right, we're done with the elders. We're done. No, 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 don't, don't do that. But you'll say, do we even have a children's ministry department? Do we need a whole department for that? Or do we just have this BBS? You can tweak it to your own situation, but I'm just using this as an illustrative template, Okay. Anyway, yeah, uh, yes, ma'am. I think you kind of answered a few seconds ago. Okay. Come from a tiny church of 23 people. Okay. So do we... Does that 23 on the books or 23 in attendance? We have 40 on the books, maybe 15 to 20 that comes to worship. It's astonishing to me. It always, if you have 100 people, you'd have 40, 50. It's the same proportion all the way down. But go ahead. All right, you're speaking so, to us. So the tiny little church, and honestly, we're not a church. We are a company. Okay, so that, no, that's a big distinction okay. because you're not a church. Right. Certain things you can't do. You so, can't go into a constituency. You can't, you can't have your own constituency meetings. You can't elect. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can't do as a company that you could do as a church. So that's an important distinction. So you're under a larger churches, or technically you are a direct link to the conference, right? Because the, a church, let's just say, a conference is simply the assemblage, a collection of all what they call the sisterhood of churches. So when there's a new baby church coming up, right? 
they take responsibility as the ultimate parent. Now, they might delegate some of that to the local church nearby and say, hey, could you help this one grow up? But their accountability is to the conference. This is just a visual aid to help out. So there's no official thing about this. This is just a thing I made up on my computer because I wanted my brain to, th to see it, right? I thought I'd share it with other people. You can absolutely write something out, a flow chart, if you will, for your work in your local context. Uh, but there are limitations in a company, what you can decide, you know, because you don't, and I, I can't speak to that authoritatively right now, but I would definitely talk to your local conference ministerial director and say, hey, as a local company, what are our limitations here and how much can we do to get closer to this church model? Because we want to act like a church in order to get to be a church. Yeah. All right, anyone else? All right, let's move on to the agenda. The work of the board. Now, this is taken from... The work of the board from the 2010 edition. Now, I have two copies of the church manual right here. This is the 2010 edition, which I'll just say is my, I'll just call it my favorite edition. But this one in my hand is the 2015 edition, which I'll call it the current edition. <laughs> now, we don't have time to hold, have a whole diatribe about the church manual, but there was a long time in the Seventh-day Adventist Church where there was no church manual. It didn't come into existence until the 1930s. It was an assemblage of different working policies that had been voted on and recommendations and basically best practices for how to govern and operate a local church. The church manual is not, let me underline this, is not inspired. It goes through regular revision by the church family. We don't do that with the Bible or the spirit of prophecy. We don't say, how many people are still in favor of Isaiah 40? <laughs> I hereby, no, you can't amend it. This gets amended regularly, Okay. But that does not mean it should be discarded as just some opinion. No, this is prayerfully put together. This outlines, again, best practices and uh, organizational agreements that the structure operates so that we're all together because the goal is to operate as one body, right? So I would recommend this as your starting point for good practices, good ideas, and aim toward it because this has been prayerfully decided by the whole world church how we should operate a local church, right? So I, want to, I don't want to elevate it to the status of inspired, but I also don't want to discard it as just an option. I want you to think about it prayerfully and consider how we can come in line with some of its recommendations. A lot of really good stuff in here. Now, I, I highlight what we're about to read here from the 2010 edition, and then I'll show you the 2015 edition, and there are some modifications from the work of the board from 2010 to 2015, okay? Now, Everything in the 2010 is still included in the 2015. They've just expanded it a little bit. So I'm going to start with the 2010 and then see how the expansion was added in 2015. Are we together? Okay. Here, you will find this on page 126 and 127 of the 2010 edition of the church manual. Oh, this one. The gospel commission of Jesus makes what? Evangelism, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the primary function of the church. All God's people said, Amen. It is, therefore, also the primary function of the board, which serves as the chief committee of the church. So if the whole church has one job, which is to give the gospel to the world, then the executive committee actually puts into practice those great principles, which is the board, that better be their primary function, too. All right? But somehow we think, oh, we're all going to do evangelism, but when you get the church board, you never talk about evangelism. That's a problem. So church manual outlines that. When the board devotes its first interest and highest energies to what kind of evangelism? Every member evangelism. Most problems are alleviated or prevented, and a strong positive influence is felt in the spiritual life and growth of members. Okay? 
So, and all of this, by the way, this isn't commentary. This is all direct quotes from the church manual. And then it outlines the recommended um, work of the board, like the agenda flow sheet, right? Item number one, the most important item on the agenda should be planning the evangelization of the outreach or missionary territory of the church. Now, that should be way up high. Now, I'm not saying you should do that before opening prayer or anything, but clearly the biggest new business item you address needs to be the mission of the church. Okay? In addition, once each quarter, an entire meeting should be devoted to plans for evangelism. Now, let's pause and do a little bit of math. How many months are there in a year? And how often is the board supposed to meet? Once every month. So you're going to have 12 board meetings. So how many board meetings are you going to have every quarter? Three. Somebody said four. I, I know the temptation to say there's four quarters. Okay. Four quarters makes three meetings. Okay. Now, it says in addition, once each quarter, an entire board meeting should be devoted to one agenda item, which is that evangelism planning. Now, how can you do that? I can only think of two options. Number one, you could take one of those three and make it your outreach planning meeting. So now you're doing your once a quarter. Or, as kind of inferred in the meeting, in addition, one should, you could add another one. But I can tell you that most churches don't make it the first item, and I guarantee most churches don't have an entire meeting every quarter devoted for plans for evangelism. Because we've thought of evangelism as an event that we're going to hire Doug Batcher or Mark Finley or someone else to do every two years. And that then, we'll, then we'll fundraise for it. By the, by the way, we don't allocate any money to it. We just put up a big thermometer and raise money so we can pay off. It's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be the main item on the agenda and an entire meeting once a quarter devoted to plans for evangelism. Let's keep reading. The board will study conference recommendations for evangelistic programs. Pause right there. What does that imply about the conference? That they're making some plans, right? That they have some recommendations. That they have. Why do we have Unlock Revelation and Jesus on Prophecy and Bible Study Offer and all these outreach things? They're not just to have a, a big report at camp meeting or consistently. It's to give you tools in the local church to do your work well. That's the whole point. Okay. So the board should look over those. How are we going to do BibleStudyOffer.com? How much money are we going to put to it? When are we going to do it as relates to Jesus on prophecy? And where's our territory? How many people? Think about those things. It's going to take a meeting. Okay? The pastor and the board will initiate and develop plans for public evangelistic campaigns. So notice that the, the, the subcommittee that's supposed to work on evangelism is the board. Now you can subcommittee that out, but I would recommend let it be the whole board working together. That's number one. Number two. Coordinating outreach programs of departments. Pause right there. What does that imply about the various departments of the church? They're all doing outreach. But in their own sphere, right? The children's ministry might be different than the women's ministry. It might be different than community services. It might be different than the local church school. That's fine. But each one has the expectation that they're doing some sort of outreach program. And the board is not there to plan each one of them. What's the word it's used? What's the verb it starts with? Coordinating. That makes sense, though. So how are they going to come up with those plans of the departments? That means the departments need to meet to make plans in their sphere how they're going to do outreach. 
and then bring those to the board to make sure it doesn't step on the toes, either logistically or personnel or financially, of, of the other coordinated things, right? So, the church board is responsible for coordinating the work of all church departments. Each department develops its plan for outreach within its own sphere to avoid conflict in timing and competition in securing volunteers and to achieve maximum beneficial results, coordination is essential. Before completing and announcing plans for any program, each department should submit its plans to the board for approval. But every department should have a plan. And you should bring to the board, hey, we want to do this thing. And the board should ask logical questions. How much is that going to cost? When is it going to be? How many people do you need? And then, by the way, when it's done, you should come back and say, hey, how did it go? Did it work? Was it a, what is it, what is it a success? Was it a dumpster fire? What was it? You know, should we do it again? Evaluate. No problem. And it says that here. It doesn't say dumpster fire, but it does say, the board may suggest how departmental programs can contribute to the... Um, Oh, I'm sorry, we skipped a sentence. The departments also report to the board on the progress and results of their outreach programs. So before and after, keep the board apprised. The board may suggest how departmental programs can contribute to the preparation, conduct, and follow-up of a public evangelistic campaign. Number three item on the agenda. Encouraging the personal ministries department to enlist all members and children in some form of personal outreach missionary service. Do you notice we're going down a funnel here? There's the whole church evangelistic thrust, number one. Then number two, coordinating all the various departments. And then making sure the personal ministries is getting every individual member doing their outreach. Right? So there's a funnel that goes down to every member being a missionary. That's the goal. Training classes should be conducted in various lines of outreach ministry. Mrs. White makes the famous statement, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. And we've been told that many would be willing to work if they were first taught how to begin. That's one of the expectations of the board. Are we training our people? Are we enlisting? Are we recruiting? Are we deploying them for service? Number four, encouraging the interest coordinator to ensure that every interest is personally and promptly followed up by an assigned lay person. Oh, I love the interest coordinator. I think Pastor West talked about this the other day, but I like to joke that this is not the interesting coordinator. <laughs> Their job isn't to make things lively and attractive, right? Their job is to follow up, or let me be clear, to make sure that follow-up work is done for those new interests. So if you're going to plan, say, your health ministries department has a supper club, and you have non-Adventist visitors, and you make an appeal, say, hey, by the way, we have these other wonderful things. Have you heard about our Bible school, Bible study offer? And they get some new cards. Well, what happens with those cards? They don't just prayerfully be laid at the feet of the pastor. They go to the interest coordinator who should have a team of lay members who are ready to follow. Hey, this person lives three blocks from you. Can you follow up with uh, Brother Bob here? Sure, I'll take care of that. And they, and they come back to the board and report on how our interests are going. We had the supper club. We got three new interests. Then we had the VBS program. got ten new interests. And these ones are children, so we're going to put them. And you start talking about people, ministering to people in our board meetings. That's what it's for. Anyway... Uh, let's see here. By the way, we haven't talked about money yet, except for expenses for evangelism. Number five, encouraging each department to report at least quarterly to the board and to members at business meetings or in Sabbath meetings. So communicate with the church family, at least through their representatives on the board, if not in the Sabbath service, which if you have a mission program as part of your Sabbath school, that's a great way. Hey, our department is doing this outreach. Let's hear about it. And by the way, that's how we're supposed to help overcome Satan, right? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We should be sharing these stories, and it's encouragement to other people. It's inspiring. Number six, finally, receiving regular reports. 
The board should consider details of church business and receive regular reports of the treasurer and the, of, on the church's finances. So you should talk about money. Last, the board should study the membership record, inquire into the spiritual standing of all members, and provide for visits to sick, discouraged, and backslidden members. You should not only be worried about the new members who are coming in through evangelism, but also be tending to those members who already are, especially those who are sick or shut in, those kind of things. Other officers should report periodically. Now that, to me, was a really good list of six agenda items for a board meeting. Look at number four, though. This is the SDA Church Manual 2015 edition. And I struggle with this, and I'm just being transparent here. But notice that one of the shifts that came in the most recent edition was it could sound like an entire shift of the mission of the church. Because it says here, the purpose of the church is the body of Christ is to intentionally disciple whom? Members. So that they continue in an active and fruitful relationship with Christ and his church. See what I'm saying? And I start, now, correctly understood, a disciple is one who follows Jesus and is active in his service and his work. So they will, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be working like Jesus, right? But you kind of have to explain it a little bit more. I kind of like the other wording better. But it continues. Uh, and I put in here, Christian Service, page 69, that the, if you want to induce people to... Um, uh, what's the statement I'm thinking of? Christian Service 69, where she says... Um, anyway, the best way to keep people in growing spiritually is to be active in sharing their faith. That's paraphrased very loosely, right? goes on to say, discipleship, if you'll notice that word discipleship is all through the new one because it's the new buzzword. But praise the Lord, Michigan Conference, by God's leading, developed this wonderful thing called the Discipleship Handbook. Just in time, and now it's a general conference resource. People say, how do we do discipleship? We have this wonderful resource that tells you not only is it personal devotional faithfulness, but it's also usefulness in his cause. That's what discipleship is, okay? Discipleship is based on an ongoing, lifelong relationship with Jesus. The believer commits to abiding in Christ, to being trained for faithful disciple, fruitful discipleship by sharing Jesus with others. So I do like that training now is higher in the list. So there's some pros and cons. As well as to lead other members to also be faithful disciples. The church individually and collectively shares responsibility for ensuring that every church member remains part of the body of Christ. And then it goes on to outline the work of the board. The board is responsible to... Now, all the ones we just read, one through six, are in the new list, but they are numbers four through nine. So they added three new things at the top of the board and one thing at the end of the board. The new number one is this. Ensure that there is an active, ongoing discipleship plan in place, which includes both spiritual nurture and outreach ministries, so I like that outreach is still a function of that first item. That's good. This is the most important item for the, church, for the board's attention. So notice that we folded nurture and outreach into the first thing, where it was the last thing on the list was nurture. So they're trying to make membership, nurture, and retention, what is being dubbed often discipleship, a bigger share of our thinking. Number two, study membership lists and initiate plans for reconnecting or reclaiming members who have separated from the church. Number three, train local church leadership. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but I still wrestle with understanding this sentence. I'm serious. I don't quite get it. Number three, train local church leadership in how to encourage 
intentional spiritual growth in themselves and others. Train someone how to encourage in yourself and like. I think I get the spirit of what they're saying, right? But you can tell that in the writing of this, there is a real sense of we're losing people. We need to reclaim them, retain them. We need to like nurture what we have and kind of like shore up what we've got. Okay? But the best way to keep people actively engaged in the local church is put them into work in the mission field. Yes, sir. Uh, I think Jim's going to expand on that a little bit more because he's currently working on the GC's Discipleship and Retention Committee. Okay. So he'll flesh that out. And, and the praise the Lord, there are at least people looking at this, and it's a work in progress. So I'm not throwing this under the bus. I'm just saying we're all human beings. And it is. Looking at that rewriting, and it kind of, in some ways, is self-contradictory. It yeah. It's not clear. Exactly. We, we could have a clearer statement anyway. But let's move on. And like I said, numbers four through nine are the exact same word for word as the other ones. Okay? A, fourth, a one through six in the 2010 edition, right? So four through nine. And then number 10, three words, promote Adventist education. Okay? And so you can see that some of these things are, are responses to perceived needs and issues in the local church. So we've written that into the work of the board, and many of which are important correctives. We, know, we shouldn't overlook the nurture and retention of our members, and we should promote Adventist education. But the question is, could it be done a little bit more clearly and flow a little better? I would think yes. But anyway, uh, like number five here, it says, no other business. Fortunately, both recent editions of the church manual concludes the work of the board section with the following statement, quote, the board should permit no other business to interfere with planning for evangelism. Should other business be too time-consuming, the board should appoint committees to care for specific areas of church business, such as finance or church-building projects. Such committees will then make recommendations to the board. So if you have, oh, we're going to add this new portico to the, to the entryway, or we're going to revamp this, or a building project, or some other big uh, capital improvement campaign, the temptation will be to make that the all-encompassing work of the board. Specifically, we as a denomination have voted officially, do not let that happen. If that takes too much time, make a subcommittee, let them deal with it, make recommendations every now and then, just give us reports. Thank you so much. If you need us to vote, we will, but we got to keep our eye on the work. That's the goal here. Now, let me hand out to you in our few minutes remaining a sample board meeting agenda. This is for any town, Seventh-day Adventist Church. (laughs) What would these... Church board and manual recommendations look like if they're put into an actual agenda. All of the things we just read, those quotes from the church manual about the functions of the board, what would it look like if you go back to a local church and said, all right, it's time to run our meeting. How do we put all of that into a simple agenda? This is a sample. Again, this is an uninspired document. It's just a best try at taking those principles and putting them into practice. So... Obviously, at the top, you'd have your church name, Anytown Seventh-day Adventist Church, and the board meeting agenda. It's good to have a date on there, so you know when you met. <laughs> and then agenda, number one, devotional. And this one, it's only five minutes. Now, you can say a lot in five minutes. And I know there's a tip, to, and, and I'm not disparaging if anyone wants to have, no, we like to have a really dedicated time of prayer and Bible study before we, you can do that. No problem. But just remember, there's only so much time. I'll tell you the same thing. Well, I'll kind of steal from our monotony section tomorrow afternoon. But I notice in our worship services, we keep putting um, 
more and more elaborate and creative ways to do prayer in the worship service. Prayer praises and requests and gardens of prayer and come down front and seasons of prayer and prayer songs. And, prayer. and now I'm not against, to even say this, it sounds like I can't believe there's a pastor against prayer. I'm all pro prayer. But you know, we have an entire meeting each week devoted to prayer. But let me ask you a question. Why are we doing the worship service then? Because nobody's coming to prayer meeting, but everyone wants the benefits of prayer meeting. So let's put it in the worship service. And the same thing with every special feature, or testimony, or baptism, or whatever the thing, let's put it in the worship service. Anyway, we might do the same thing with it. If people aren't having their own devotional life or not coming to church regularly, they come to the church, well, we need to, we need to start this spiritually. You can start spiritually by saying, friends, we're here for a holy purpose. The Bible tells us that we're the body of Christ and we have a mission to do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Now let's get into our agenda. We're here for this purpose. Okay. Season of prayer, five, ten minutes, no problem. But notice the whole thing, you're ten minutes max. Devotional and prayer. Then review of the minutes from September. So we still haven't gotten to really action item number one yet. We're still just getting into the meeting here. And it's proper to review the previous month's meetings and minutes and make sure that they're in line and everything followed through nicely. So review those for a couple minutes, five minutes maybe. And you hopefully approve those with little amendments if you need to. And then number four on this one would be evangelism and mission planning. And notice the time allotment here is much more, 25 minutes. And inside of that, you need to review the recent evangelistic series, which implies that you've done a recent evangelistic series. <laughs> Report on discipleship progress. Those people who've been coming in, how are we following up on that? And the new members, how are they doing, right? Update on the Spring Health Expo, just for example, right? You might have some other evangelistic things. We're trying to get new Bible study interest through this. How's that going? How's our funding for that coming? How's our scheduling? How's our personnel? Is it all working out okay? Plans for the next personal ministries. Training. When are we going to training people? What are we going to training them in? What is going to be covered? Personal ministries people, let's talk. All of that is the big item first on the agenda of the board. Then you have your interest report from your interest coordinator who's going to walk through all those new interests and how they're doing. It shouldn't take more than five or ten minutes there. Department reports, Pathfinders, Community Service, or whoever wants to report. Now, I would recommend, because I've seen boards do this, that everybody just goes around the circle and gives all the reports. Please don't do that. It takes forever. What you can do is say, pick a couple that you're going to highlight each board meeting, and so that maybe once a quarter or once or whatever, you, you get an opportunity. But you don't need to report every week, because what ends up happening is we just have a big old conversation. It takes forever. Right? So you want to highlight, and obviously if there's some emergency thing that they had a particular item, they can request to have an item on the agenda. We need approval for this. Okay, that's fine. But the regular reports, let's just hear from the departments regularly, but not everyone all the time. And of course you need your administrative reports, the clerk's report, uh, which of course the clerk takes care of all the church members and whether there's transfers in and out, and we need to recommend a first or second reading for this or anything like that. That's the church clerk takes care of that. And the financial report, the finance committee recommendations, usually the treasurer, the finance committee chair will guide us through that and they'll have a little finance report and say that we began the month here, we began ended the month here, or uh, things were on trend for this. And that's an important one because you want to make sure that adjust all of your ministry stuff inside of that budget or increase spending as you need. But the budgets are uh, a cooperative thing that we work together with. And just like money was shared, time is shared well. So number eight is the church calendar review, 
which is where you do all that coordinating, not only the funds and the personnel, but also the scheduling. What if there's two really good events that want the same Saturday night or the same Sunday or the same weekend? Well, you've got to share or move the one or the other. You've got to kind of, kind of be nimble and flex a little bit and build a calendar that works for everybody, at least the best as possible. Then number nine, they have the church business. There are other things like the landscaping request or the Sabbath school party, whatever the thing is, right? Those other miscellaneous things. And then closing prayer and adjournment. I notice on this one that there isn't an other items, just an open forum. You can do that if you'd like, but it's not always the best practice. Because you know what happens. Somebody say, I want to talk about this, and you let them, it's on the agenda. So it would be wise to encourage, if you have some specific item you'd like to address, please come see the board chair first, and maybe we can work it out without even to go to the meeting, or I can refer you to this committee that does it, but let's be very careful about the things we add on, because we want to make sure we don't wear out the patience of the saints on things that could be addressed otherwise. Brother Mark. Yeah, another thing that you can do is Yes. So at the beginning of the meeting, if somebody wants to add something, then you leave it up to the whole board to say, do we want to take time for that tonight? Yeah. Just throwing other items on. Yes, that is an option too. Um, so there's different ways you can do, and they're each has their pros and cons. But just the goal is, I don't know if you've ever been to those churches that has that 7 o'clock board meeting that's still going until 11 o'clock at night. Oh. I'm telling you. Look at this. This is the, 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 the cooperative, I mean, the collective root canal we've all endured, right? Don't do that. And you can say, well, I'm not the chair. I don't run that thing. But you could say, like, you know what? <laughs> I, I would recommend that we maybe adopt this model. If we, we can move a little bit faster. Because you notice, what's their ending time here? 8.30. Now, if you, the way I used to do it is say, estimated time looking at the items we have here. And you should, every meeting should be an hour. Like, if you're having 25-minute board meeting, something's wrong. Okay, you should have enough to talk about. But it doesn't need to spill over into that two-hour time frame and go on, right? So that hour to an hour and a half is a good, sweet spot to aim for. So what I would say is, I'm hoping for an hour and a half. I'll allow it to go, or hoping for an hour, allow it to go an hour and a half, but we will not go past that. We're not going to, or we're not going to go to the two-hour time. Just put limits and say, this is where we're done. And even if we're mid-sentence, when we hit that time, it's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. We're done. But I think that board meetings shouldn't be so tedious and laborious they should be exciting. You should be cooperating together for that mission focus that God has given to us. Okay? Uh, yes? I have a little bit different question. Okay. Quorum, um, is there any danger in setting it to whoever shows up? Yeah. For both. Both the board yeah. and the church business. Because there's people who are crazy. <laughs> I'm not the only one saying people are crazy. Come on. <laughs> Everybody in this room knows people are crazy. Okay, no, but you know, I tell you this, and I don't know exactly how to fix it, but take a church business session, right? Every member who's not under church discipline is a voting delegate to the church business session, and there are plenty of people, and you probably have seen them, who do not come to anything else churches, but they'll show up at the business session. The, the best way I think to defend against that is get the people who should be there to be there, outvote them. Right? But you can't have guards be like, oh, let's see your attendance pass. You know, you can't get in. You can't, you can't do that. Um, but the church board does, a church manual does imply, kind of, I don't know if it does more than imply, it kind of expects that you're going to set a quorum 
of a certain number of people, but you can't put qualifications on those people aside from their being church members. Now, in the church board, there are times when it's not only appropriate, but it's necessary to go into executive session. Just like a nominating committee is in executive session the whole time because you're talking about individuals. So if an issue comes up, we have a concern in this area. Executive concession is people, when people who aren't on that body have to leave. Only the people either on the board or the nominee, whatever the thing is, have to be in the room for that one and no one else. And they can't discuss those things outside of the meeting. So what happens in the meeting stays in the meeting. That's what an executive session is. And so um, other than that, I've always practiced that a board is open unless we go into executive session for, a, for an obvious reason, right? Um, there are other churches that practice a different thing like that. I'm not aware of a statement in the church manual that gives instruction one way or the other, but I think it's kind of a common sense thing that everything the church does is open to everybody unless there's a reason for it not to be. And that has to be based on people. I don't know if that helps. Okay. Yes, sir. Question about finances. Okay. And large amounts of money, particularly for evangelism. Should that be decided at the church and business, or is it okay for the board to make that decision? Now, in our church, we already have an evangelism fund being built, so we might have fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars in there. And the board, in the past, has just said we're we're going to have this evangelistic series, and made the decision and started the process. Should that be church and business? Those are relative terms, large and small. So. What $3,000 at one church might be pennies in another church, you know what I'm saying? So it, that's kind of a difficult one to put a rule. So that's why I would say in general terms, large commitments of time, personnel, and money need to be made by this bigger body, by the church and business session. Um, but the church board's primary function is the planning for evangelism. So one of the things that we've encouraged, and I think Mark's probably going to speak to this, is to put money, like you talk about your church, has those funds aside. One of the things that really bugs the daylights out of me is when we have a big evangelistic campaign coming up and we put a thermometer, you know, a big fundraising thermometer, either in the lobby or in the, in the platform or something like this. Like, this is the one thing we're called to do, and we're out here like hat in hand trying to raise pennies to do it when we fund everything else, you know. So th I think the board can alleviate some of that by with some advanced planning. But when it comes to a large expenditure, in principle, a large body needs to make it. But each church is going to have to say what that expense is. Brother Mark. I was just going to say most churches have a guideline that, you know, if we go Spending limits, yeah. Dollars, yep. it has to go to business session regardless. And much like quorum with people for numbers, I would imagine that, I highly recommend that departments can spend this much money without having to call a board meeting and a board can spend this much without a business meeting. The business, you know, have some guidelines. So they're like, oh, we just went over the 3,000. This needs to go to this. So it doesn't have to be like, well, I think it's this important. It doesn't have to be qualitative. It's, it matches the threshold. Right. Of course not. That's what I'm saying. So you trust your department leaders to run their department, but you say, all right, here's your budget. You can spend this much of it or within this time. Just make some common sense spending limits. Yes, ma'am. What do you say to the argument, because um, we've had this happen or said multiple times, okay. of, well, we don't need to bring it to the church because you voted on the, the nominating committee, voted for these people to make these decisions, and you're not trusting them to make the decisions that you said that they could do. It would depend on what these decisions are. Okay. For instance, we cannot, no matter how much we trust you, you're not allowed to vote people in or out of church, you know, membership. Okay. I don't care how much we trust you. That's not your job. 
And the same thing would be true in different areas. Financially, we're the ones as a church business who have to vote the whole budget. We're the ones who, if we're going to do a capital renovation, it has to be on us, right? And so, again, that would come back to the spending limits thing, especially in terms of money. That's an easy one to fix. Just set limits and say, it's past the threshold. We got to go here. Um, but big decisions are already outlined in the church manual. Again, discipline, uh, constituency structures. You can't pull out of or get into an arrangement without the church business session being involved. I mean, so there's certain things, like if the board went and say, we just closed our church school. Like, huh? No, no, you, you weren't impaneled to do that. We're calling a business. You can't do that. Uh, I, yes? I see that, um, you know, by the board going to the church and, and announcing that we're going to have, you know, the evangelistic series mm -hmm. to include them into that yeah because that's going to get them more excited but if we keep it to the board okay we're going to spend this much we're going to do this you know and not really spreading it out to the church family yeah which by the way that's what the the beauty of the church meeting on the sabbath morning isn't just to receive good spiritual information in a sermon or something the church should be a training school for Christian workers. We should come together with the purpose of, yes, worshiping God, but also getting equipped and trained and prepared for the upcoming thing. So there's no reason we couldn't have more training and stuff. And that could take place in the worship service. There's nothing unspiritual about that. That's their primary mission, right? You could also have a specially called church business meeting. We need all hands on deck. We want every one of you here. We're going to have a, have a pancake breakfast Sunday morning and have all the kids. And then we're going to have this planning session afterwards. You want to, you, there's ways to do it, right? But your goal is to get everyone on board. All right. I hope that there's no more questions because we're flat out of time. But let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be co-laborers with you. Please, Lord, teach us how to do your work your way. Help us to be faithful to the mission you've given us. And by your great grace and our humble efforts, Lord, help us to see Jesus come soon. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.